Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com. And of course, I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, the podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan, and I hope you and your family are staying healthy. I started this season talking about how I was on the road when my hometown in Southern California suffered a mass shooting and a wildfire on the same day. Now there's a global pandemic, and it's causing me to reevaluate my relationship with a small LA Dodgers duffel bag. It's something to grab in the event of fire evacuation. Some of the most important objects in my life are living in this bag, like stuffed animals from my youth, external hard drives for this podcast, and the salt and pepper shakers my girlfriend and I planned to use when we eventually live together. It wasn't until I started writing this episode that I asked myself, why is this bag still packed? It was supposed to be temporary. Now as I learned to live in this new world of pandemic, This bag has become a symbol of the constant threat of catastrophe. How nowadays, the act of evacuation itself might cause exposure. How today, we are the ones in the bag. It's unsettling how easy it can just become part of everyday life. I check this duffel every night as part of my overcomplicated bedtime ritual. It doesn't increase my heart rate or plunge my thoughts into worries of fire and fleeing. It's just there. I only get nervous when I think of unpacking it. The packed bag is no stranger to the Jewish people. In fact, it can be argued it's an unwanted symbol of the tribe. A common Jewish question asked throughout the centuries is, do you have a bag packed? And how throughout the generations, humans have had to choose between the danger of staying and the danger of going. The rabbi we're going to hear from in this episode focuses on this dynamic and how it affected the Jews of a once great society. And he does so in an interesting way. In December, I went up to Washington State to spend time with my girlfriend and her family for the holidays. We made latkes out of almost every ingredient you can imagine. I continued my highly successful charm campaign with her parents, and we spent some time in Seattle, where I met a rabbi who showcases the Ladino language and the Sephardic story through the craft of hip-hop. Washington, Bima and Beats. Now I know what you're thinking, and the answer is Yes, there is more to the Seattle music scene than grunge. Like many other regions covered in this podcast, the town of Rain, Coffee, Tech Giants, and Fraser has a fascinating Jewish history, a lot of which has to do with the Sephardim, Jews who originally hail from Safarad, or the Iberian Peninsula. 
In the 15th and 16th centuries, they were thrown into diaspora with the brutality of the Inquisition held throughout Spain, Portugal, and Italy. Some fled to England and the Netherlands. As mentioned in previous episodes, some of these Sephardim would become the first Jewish settlers of North America. Others who left Spain went to North Africa, Greece, and what was then the Ottoman Empire, at the invitation of the Sultan. And it's from here that the first Sephardic Jews came to Seattle, specifically from parts of modern-day Turkey like the island of Marmara and Rhodes in Greece. As some stories go, the first settlers were told to get on the train in New York and stay on until it ended. That was the Pacific Northwest a region with a similar climate to the islands. They would play an important role in the modern history of Seattle. Many went into the fishing industry and became key vendors of the iconic Pike Place Market, which dazzles tourists to this day with flying fish specialty shops and walls made out of chewing gum. There's also an extensive Sephardic studies program at the University of Washington. To this day, the Emerald City, in the far corner of the country, has one of the largest Sephardic populations in the U.S., and a man who has served this community for more than 30 years is Rabbi Simon Benzakin. My name is Rabbi Benzakin, Simon Benzakin. I was born in uh, Melilla, it's called, it's a city in, in North Africa that belonged to Spain for already for 500 years. There is another city like that, too. One is Melilla, the other one is Ceuta. Our families were religious and loved Judaism all the time. I grew up, my father was a rabbi. I've got five brothers who are rabbis, and everybody else is religious in our home. Jews have been in Melilla and Ceuta for hundreds of years, where they were, for the most part, left alone during the Inquisition. To this day, the two cities remain under Spanish control, a point of tension with Morocco. Benzikin says it was a nice place to grow up, but it was a challenge to be Jewish. Not so much a concern of physical security, although tensions with the Arab population did increase after Israel won the Six-Day War in 1967. The real concern was of obtaining a Jewish education. We were very scared to go to mainland Spain to live there because it was like an automatic, you get influence by there by so much that is non-Jewish. You know, you end up assimilating, and it's very difficult. My father was a visionary all the time, and even though my mother suffered a little bit because of our absence, when I was 14, I already went to Yeshiva, to England. I went a child, and I came back the first time, and I was able to, to, you know, to travel when I was 17 and a half. I was intensely learning, you know, for three and a half years. And so after that, I made it my business. Every time that I had to go on a holiday, no matter what, I went home to stay in the kitchen talking to my mother because of what, I, what she missed from me. The intense study away from family paid off. Benzikin went on to become a rabbi, moyle, cantor, and dion, or judge. You can find him serving on kosher boards, bait dins, and the Executive Council of Sephardic Rabbis of the United States and Canada. He's held pulpits in England, Venezuela, and the U.S., most notably his 36 years and counting in Seattle, which has two major Sephardic synagogues in the Seward Park neighborhood. Benzikin started at Sephardic Bikor Holim, founded by those from Turkey. Now he serves at Congregation Ezra Becerth, founded by those from Rhodes in Greece. The United States uh, really uh, has opened my horizon in a way to me much f- 
freer to do a lot of things that I like to do. So it had been, in a way, very positive for me. Benzikin also has an artistic side. He does calligraphy and is a trained cantor in both Sephardic and Ashkenazi tunes. And he picked up a new tune when he became friends with Jewish rapper and Emerald City native Nisim Black. Mass have been getting on me all day, but my feet got sores, and I ain't getting the proper rest sleeping next to dogs when they bark. Benzikin used to not like rap, but Black expanded his horizons. And I appreciate it because he really brought that twist into me to understand what rap music is. And I made a study of it as well. Because rap music originally was the African-American method and way of expressing what they were going through life. It was tough, you understand? They used that method originally when they wanted to express their feeling about everything. What happened with time, there were many people who came and took the rap music and they, rap music that had a bad rap, I always say, because what happened, they used it for filthy language to, 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 to uh, just, just use in a poetic way to trash everything, and, and it was bad. And Nisim came and he purified that again. You understand? His rap music is beautiful. Benzikin got some of his first hands-on experience with the art form when he was featured in Black's song, Soars, where Black raps about the atrocities of slavery and the Holocaust. And Benzikin sings. Nisim Black has since moved to Israel, where he continues to produce music. Oh, rap is a great medium because everybody knows about rap music. It's called shira in Hebrew. In fact, the, the African-American originally, they, they used the method of the Bible. We have that in the Bible. Many times there are certain paragraphs, certain parts of the Bible that are written, written specifically in a format so that we should learn it by heart. Certain places in the Torah, the, 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 the Torah, the Bible tells me, teach to your children this by heart. And that's how the format. And that's a beautiful form. This is exactly what the rap music, rap music copying that. It's why Benzikin now uses hip-hop to highlight the language of Ladino, also known as Judeo-Spanish and Judesmo, among many other names. It's the traditional mother tongue of Sephardi Jews, a combination of Old Spanish and Hebrew with elements of Arabic, Turkish, and a spattering of a few other languages like Greek. It's also considered an endangered language by the United Nations. Fewer and fewer people have been using it over the years, and many native speakers perished in the Holocaust. Today, it's not as widely used as Yiddish, which is also considered an endangered language. However, Benzikin says Ladino has been going through a renaissance of sorts in places like Israel and Latin America. There are festivals, works of literature, and performers, one of whom being him. I personally want to uplift 
that again, that part of the culture, Ladino. That's why I'm doing everything in Ladino, I'm, I'm doing it, to promote the Ladino language and not to lose. Benzikin is part of the musical group Los Torrenos Sefarad, The Watchmen, which consists of himself and Mexican-born rapper Alex Hernandez. They sing classic songs and add rap lyrics to them. For the duo, their work covers more than just the language of their people, but the history of their people, specifically when it comes to the Inquisition. And that was the Holocaust of what happened to the Jews, the Sephardic Jews from Spain. You see the crematoria in the, in the time of the Holocaust in Germany, Poland, anywhere over there. That was created because they wanted to get rid of the bodies. There were so many bodies dead already to create. You know, they had to create the crematoria. In Spain, what it was their crematorias over there was when they burned the Jews alive in Otto da Fe. Before that, even the Inquisition was so incredible and so pain that those who were tortured at the end, they would be cremated alive. They would burn alive. And that did not last for six or seven years. It lasted for, for generations. Where is it written over there? Why it's not? To me, I look at it like, Oh, you know, I should be ashamed of myself. I'm a Sephardic Jew. That means that means that the Sephardic Jews couldn't care less about their history and they didn't write anything, practically nothing, very little. You find only great rabbis who wrote in their Hebrew writing, by the way, you know, some of the history of what happened to them. But the regular people, people did not write anything. Why? I said to me, the shame. Uh, it's like they didn't care about their history. But that's not true. Benzikin says the difference between the Holocaust and the Inquisition is once the Nazis were defeated, survivors and relatives of survivors were free to share their stories. But Spain was a world power for hundreds of years, and the reach of the Inquisition was long, even to the, quote, New World. Just the presence of Spanish settlements in Florida caused some Jews in southern English colonies to move further north. It was not safe for the Sephardim to criticize an active world power. At least not directly. Esta Benzikin believes this role was filled by the Ladino romances, classic songs of love and loss. Well, mostly about loss. There are parallel words and indication in direct quotation about what happened to the Jewish people. That's what the romances are all about. That's why many times it's supposed to be romance. They don't sound romance at all. And it's not the blues. Because the romance, the way they are, they are written, it's a complaint practically, saying, why did you cheat me? Why did you trick me? Why did you make me suffer? Why didn't you keep your promise? What? This is not a dialogue between a man and a woman. This is a dialogue between the Jews of Spain after they were expelled from Spain and Spain. It was an indictment of Spain. Arboles, your 
Benzikin walks me through the classic song Arvales. It starts like a typical lament, something you might hear today. Lyrics about how someone cries for their lover the way trees cry for rain and mountains for air. But then it pivots, and the singer starts worrying about dying in foreign lands. And he's saying first, you know, the same as the tree cried for rain, yeah, and the mountain for air to their ex for their existence. He said, I thought that the same way you spend my life, without you I am nothing. And now he's saying, Torno y digo, que va a ser mi? What's going to happen to me when you are throwing me out? Okay? In foreign land, I am going to die. You are sending me to exile. I was in Spain here before Spain. You understand? Because the Jews were there even with the Moors, even before that, before Spain. Before Spain was Spain, the kingdom. And all of a sudden, I am being thrown out of Spain. Look at the realization. This is what the Jewish people are now facing with. The song goes on to describe a figure dressed in white. Benzikin says it's a reference to the diaspora Jew looking towards Jerusalem. So the composer knew even Midrash, he knew. You understand? Not just anybody writing. And therefore now makes sense what is obsessed with white. Why? Because he's making a reference to the temple to the, in Jerusalem. And he's saying, what is the temple? Look at the temple. Because everything is pure in the temple. A la una yo nací, a las dos me engrandecí. It's one of the many romances Los Serenos Seferad have performed on their album Los Biobilicos, and they plan to do more. Typically, Benzikin sings the more traditional part of the song while Hernandez raps their interpretation of it. Benzikin writes the rap lyrics and will occasionally spit some verse himself. Unlike their ancestors who wrote under the threat of the Spanish Empire, the duo do not hold back. The lyrics they add are sharp, talking about being stepped on, thrown off to the wolves of the woods, and becoming a beggar. In another classic romanza, they change the words to directly call out Spain for embittering their lives and being born without a heart to love their neighbor. Benzikin says it's become a passion of his, and he plans to write a book on the subject. I feel privileged that I'm able to be able to work on this and, and, and bring out the best of our Jewish history, Sephardic history of what happened you know, to our people at the same time, uh, make sense of it and make it palatable for people. As mentioned earlier, a lot of hip-hop is an expression of emotion, telling a story. The romances and raps performed by Benzikin and Hernandez are no different. It's an expression of pain for a lost homeland and a lost time, of what is referred to as the golden age of Spain, when Jews lived in peace and prosperity. They were doctors, poets, merchants, and advisors in high places of government. I can't help but see a possible comparison to America, and how some might refer to this as a golden age. But could it become another Spain? 
God forbid. I mean, United United States has been the country that now for, you know, for some generation, nearly 100 years, the country of mercy and consideration. There is so much that that we owe to the United States become. But look what's happening now with anti-Semitism all over. We are afraid. Everybody is afraid in that in that respect. If we don't watch out and if if the authorities themselves don't then the God forbid something like that could happen. But it's a little bit different the fact that we have Israel today. Understand? It's different. And Israel and the United States, the philosophy and the uh, the freedom, loving freedom that both of them are, that definitely it does not parallel exactly like what hap- was happening in Spain. Spain and Portugal have taken some steps towards making amends. They recently offered citizenship to anyone who could prove their ancestors were expelled due to the Inquisition. Benzikin administered the program for his region. He says for some Jews, citizenship doesn't matter. For others, especially those who want access to the European Union, it means something. But most agree it's too little too late. When Benzikin was growing up, the real concern involving Spain was assimilation. He says that doesn't concern him as much with America, where there is more Jewish infrastructure. But he still worries, a chief concern of his being interfaith marriage. Interfaith marriage in itself is a misnomer, I would say, you know, in Judaism doesn't make any sense, you know, interfaith. Judaism is so that you don't intermarry and you don't interfaith. Judaism, a Torah and so on, and, you know, to stick to that and is very important for your survival, you know, throughout history, that's what it is. You don't want to give that away and, and just throw it, trash it. So you have to keep learning and understanding so that you keep, you know, your Judaism on way. Uh, there is a place for Judaism, for the Jews for Judaism. There is a place for the non-Jews in their life, you understand? Nobody is not worth what they're doing. You understand that? But when it comes to interfaith and you say, just isn't, there is no room because ultimately you either one or the other. There is no such a thing, a mixture. When you mix these two, they don't mix. That's how Judaism is. Like many rabbis I talk to who are concerned with interfaith marriage, Benzikin says education is important. He believes the more involved you are with Judaism, the more likely you are to marry a Jew. But when I asked where he sees Judaism 40 years from now, Benzikin says being involved civically is also crucial. 40 years from now? I don't have a, a magic ball, you know, to look at and, and predict exactly. But uh, w- only what I know are that we have to take note of many things. Jewish education is very important for the Jewish people. The pride to know you are Jewish. And that shouldn't be a shame. You know what I mean? Many people who are hiding God knows, because they think, you know, better better not to show you Jewish. I think it's, it's crazy that. But those are things that are important if you take care of that and to make sure that you also get involved, you know, with the community and with, with you know, with the authorities to make sure that they are on the right path. 
when needed to vote, you vote to vote the people that you know that they are sane and that they are, they are real, you know, the people who, who, who care about the United States, about America, don't have just private agendas. That is very important. So if you take care of this thing, I think definitely you can look forward to good things. Rabbi Simon Benzikin is a man of many titles and abilities. He can lead a prayer service, circumcise a child, oversee Jewish legal matters, and write rap lyrics. He's a Renaissance man for a Ladino Renaissance. He laments a golden age while staying hopeful about the age he lives in. For me, it was a hell of an interview, not just for the content, but also for geography. I collected an interview in Washington, seeing as I've also interviewed rabbis in Maine and Georgia and Miss Strobel in Southern California, I've really spread out the map over these two seasons. Things are starting to take shape, not just on the map, but professionally and personally. I feel like I've grown a lot as a podcaster and journalist since I first jumped into my beat-up Honda Civic almost two years ago. And more and more, people and publications are taking notice. This is all thanks to you, dear listener. As I close the book on season two, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into this show. It means the world to me. I hope you are staying safe, and I hope you are learning from and enjoying this podcast as much as I am. American Rabbi Project, Washington, Bima, and Beats is written and produced by me, Justin Regan. If you would like to hear more about Los Serenos Safarad or Nisim Black, I have put links on the episode page of my website, rabbiproject.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to my podcast. Just go to rabbiproject.com and click on the donate page. Derek Pova handles the web stuff. Thanks to Sarit Dan Rathbone, Beth Vanderstoop, Jeremy Crones, Raphael Tantau, Dylan Abrams, and my parents for the assistance. You can also follow me on Twitter with the handle at Rabbi Project, Facebook.com slash Rabbi Project, and on Instagram with American Rabbi Project. And until next time, until next season, shalom. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy.